Hello and welcome to this episode of the Coaching Podcast from British Canoeing Awarding Body. Hi, um, welcome everyone to British Canoeing Awarding Body Coaching Podcast. My name's Lee Pooley and I'm the Director of Coaching and Qualifications. Absolutely delighted today to be joined by Ian Wynn. And um, Ian, um, thanks very much for taking the time out to, to spend some time chatting to us today. It's right, my pleasure. Cool. Um, I think what's really important right from the very beginning, Ian, is probably uh, if you introduce yourself to, to the listeners, give us give something, give the listeners a bit of background to who you are um, and uh, a bit of how you've how you've come to where you have done in sport. Sure. So, as you said, my name's Ian Wynn. Um, I've been around the world of canoeing for a very long time now, um, which makes me sound older than I like to think I am. And uh, I guess most of that time is, is, is spent in the world of uh, sprint kayaking or flat water racing. Now, that's kind of my specialty um, in terms of where I ended up focusing my efforts and energies. And uh, started my journey a long time back at little old Tunbridge Canoe Club down in Kent. Um, and I think in some ways that kind of directed where I spent most of my time in terms of paddling environment because the water there is just a river. It's very flat most of the time. We were very fortunate though that we got exposed to a bit of slalom, but flat water slalom. <laughs> um, or during the winter time when the river was sort of running or draining out, that sort of things. And we did a bit of surf as kids and all that sort of thing. So a fair, fairly wide range of environments as a young paddler, but as I developed, it was more into the sprint and the flat water racing is where we sort of honed my particular skill set. Um, but I also came from a background of swimming. That was my primary sport. Canoeing was always a bit of an add-on. Um, I was just following my older brother, really, in the canoeing world. And, and there was something else to do. But as a, as a up to probably the age of 18, 19, I was a competitive swimmer, very keen on it and moderately good. Um, sort of national standard and I think that that shaped a lot of my perception of training and um, I, I guess I only realized this later when you look back on your journey but it really framed up for me the control and the precision and the timing of your training because swimming as you know is you're in a controlled environment you know, pools differ, definitely you've got nicer pools and slower pools and all the rest of it, but it's the same time all the time and you're repeating over and over again. So you've got a really good closed feedback between what you're doing and what's coming out. So from an athlete's development, that, that shaped a lot in my early years. And I was fortunate enough to, to progress through my journey as a young athlete, race for GB as a junior level. This is as a kayaker, uh, world championships, moderately good nothing exceptional and I knew I had a, a long-term vision for my training um, so I actually backed off as a junior and didn't sort of dive straight into the senior level and I saw that journey as being a lot of people would sort of fall by the wayside even sort of back in those early days and so I went off and studied psychology as a degree um, and as I was finishing my degree I decided to put my energy back into racing and really attack the racing scene and I, I decided at the end of my degree I had one year to go 100% full out with training and see how good I could get and after that I'd have to go and get a job and do do normal stuff and that year took me to British number one 
um, in the K1 500 meter race and uh, set me on a path of racing at two Olympic Games at the end of the day and then coming home from Athens with a bronze medal in 2004. Mm. And so that one year of trying it flat out turned into uh, quite a lot more, about six years of, uh, of international, eight years of international racing. Exceptional story there, Ian. And, um, and you know, when, you're, when your career as an athlete started to sort of you know, taper off, what did you do after that? I'd always intended to come back and coach to some degree or give back to the sport in some degree because I felt you know, quite a strong connection to the sport. I felt it moved me as an individual from where I could have been to where I ended up. So there was always that intention. But I, again, I've, I guess I always had this long-term vision. I knew I didn't want to go straight from being an athlete to being a coach. You, know, you get off the water one day and you're cycling or walking on the bank the next day. I knew I needed a bit more perspective on life um, and it was time to give back a little bit to the family as well. So I, we stepped away. Um, my wife's a chiropractor, so we went to open up our own chiropractic clinic and manage that. That was my role. Um, I was doing lots of study as an athlete as well to further my education. So it wasn't just the psychology degree. It wasn't just the raw experience. I was training in strength and conditioning and lifestyle management. Um, and pursued at the time some very advanced um, strength and conditioning programs from something called the Czech Institute under a, a guidance of Paul Czech in America. Um, so I needed to round my education before coming back to, to coaching. So it wasn't just an athlete. Um, in fact, I was actually doing, I had an in-house um, practical course, I think it was 10 days after the Athens Olympics, I was actually going on a course with Paul Cech himself and uh, I remember doing the prerequisites. I had to submit and pass some prerequisites while I was at the Olympic Village in Athens, sort of furiously typing away on the computer trying to get these modules passed beforehand. Um, but uh, so once I'd done that, got this rounded education, I was actually pulled sort of back into coaching team, back into developing with a British team. Um, at the time, the performance director asked me to come back and provide some insight into the coaching and sort of help move that forward. Um, he felt it was a bit stuck in where it was. Um, and so I was very honored to, to come back and coach with the British team at all, all levels, senior, under 23 and junior level for the sort of the next eight years or so and trying to move people sort of beyond just the basic trying hard um, and provide that insight. One of the, you know, in many of our discussions that we've had, and this is what we're focusing in this podcast on today, is around train smarter. But I think it'd be really good to 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 understand what you mean by train smarter. It's easy enough to say, isn't it? It is, and I think we realised very early on when I was an athlete, um, our coaching motto with my coaches at the time, Trevor Hunter and, and Eric Farrell, were working with us. It was. That, that was their motto, was train smarter. Like every, any, frankly, anybody can train hard. And there was plenty of examples of people absolutely beasting themselves, working incredibly hard, but not getting very far. Uh, and you, when you're racing against the best in the world, you can really see the difference between those that just try hard and those that are doing something different, something significant. So we really set about trying to understand the demands of the events that we were trying to specialize in at that elite level and unpick it 
look at the gaps that we had as individuals and be very honest to ourselves about what were those gaps and try and close that gap. I mean, that's essentially <laughs> the essence of it is what do you need to do? Where, where am I? And what's, what, what can we work on to do that and not be afraid of tearing up, I guess, the, the traditions of what other people have been doing in order to make uh, some of those leaps. Um, and so the question always comes down to, and you would have heard this across many different sports and other sort of areas, but in our particular context is, well, is that going to make me faster? Like, will it make the boat go faster, essentially? You know, is it going to help me achieve, in my mind, K1 500 meter time that I had, or the K4 thousand meters, which is what I was sort of specializing in, in the early days, or the K2 thousand, um, and understand the requirements what am I doing? Is it going to help or is it actually going to hinder what we're doing? Uh, we, we see a lot of a lot of time wasted in training, doing things that aren't actually moving you forwards. Um, and obviously in the context of this discussion, my experiences are about that performance and about a very focused performance on a particular event, but the principles apply across any any discipline, any event, any any target you're trying to do. You know, break it down into what do you need to do that. Um, some are easier than others, and look at the gaps and work out how you can fill those gaps. Yeah, and you know, I'm really pleased you 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 mentioned that is because although our focus will be around you know the background that you've got, obviously within you know flat water sprint, there are so many disciplines that can can benefit from this podcast of actually just considering how do we actually train smarter? How do we get faster? How do we make the boat go faster? Or how do we how do we shave a certain amount of time off? So yeah, although this conversation is gonna be based around, and you're probably gonna give some examples within it, um, I think for everyone, this is about, you know, anyone could, anyone can apply these principles. It, exactly that, it's the principle. So it's not a menu. You don't just take pieces off the menu and apply it. It's, it's the understanding the principles of what you're trying to achieve and apply those in your context. Um, so, you know, I said I started my life in swimming and I think that's what I learned was the principle of pace management because it's a very close environment. You, you get feedback every single time you turn in a swimming pool, there's a big clock up on the wall and it tells you how many seconds it's been since you were last there. Mm. So every single effort you do, you can regulate your effort versus the speed that's coming out. And I, I sort of, honed into that and i was very good at judging how fast i could go or how much effort to apply during a swim session to achieve a particular time um, and i translated that skill from swimming into kayaking now there's a way more environmental influences when you're in the boat you've got the water temperature you've got the flow you've got the weather conditions the winds temp all of these different matters that you don't have in a swimming pool but the principle is the same you know, if I needed to race a 500 meters and I needed to do it in uh, 1.36 to, to win the race, which is sort of the target time for Athens, then I knew I had to do each 100 meters in 19.2 seconds. And then I'd go out and I'd practice that and I'd do it so many times that you had a good sense of how much harder you have to go to maintain that speed during the effort with enough environmental um, exposures that you can accommodate a bit of wind, a bit of flow, a bit of heat, a bit of cold. So you build up this sort of mental model of effort versus output. Mm. 
you make a lot of references to to data and information and so the question that i have and, and and hopefully you know some of the listeners are thinking this as, as well is so why is it important to obtain data and how do we as coaches know what data is important because i'd imagine you could collect a whole raft of um data but actually is it of a use well yeah and and that is one of the biggest challenges to training smarter is is using the right data to inform your decisions um yeah and and maybe in the early days you collect everything and you learn over time that actually this is irrelevant let's get rid of it let's not focus on that anymore um, but sometimes you don't know what's relevant until after the event and you look back and you can go ah, oh, okay yes this is actually quite key information that it just happens to be uh, i don't we, we used to do sessions on a thursday and a friday at the end of the week which were really high intensity sessions and we were logging this stuff and we were going well hang on a minute why we're not always performing these very well and it's because we were fatigued so if we put them at the start of the week and we were recovered then then we you know we do them better sounds logical <laughs> but sometimes when you don't see that pattern occurring week after week after week because you're not recording it uh, these things don't jump out um or it doesn't help inform that decision and i think i think that's why it's important to collect data essentially because as you know and i'm sure all coaches are aware of this we're very good at kidding ourselves yeah athletes massively good at this <laughs> you know you always want to sort of make yourself feel better or or it can work in the negative as well you know we can be biased against ourselves sometimes subjectively um coaches can be very biased subjectively uh, in a positive or a negative way so for me the data provides an objective feedback into that decision making process to to keep you uh to keep you orientated in your decision and your discussions with the athlete um, or with yourself you know if you're if you're coaching yourself or if you're planning for yourself it's a it's a method to keep you honest and keep you bringing you back to the core point of what you're trying to do uh, and not letting some of those biases lead you away from where you need to be yeah so that's just just really interesting you say that because you know i think we are all in that we are all in that sort of area aren't we 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 tend to practice what we're good at yeah um and uh you know but actually when you're talking about data and evidence you have to go with the evidence that's in front of you and you know you talk about you talk about collecting data over a period so are you suggesting that you know that coaches start to look for patterns within that data yeah absolutely um, and and this is why in some ways you, you collect whatever you can as often as you can because you don't know um sometimes you don't know how useful it's going to be until much later down the line now later on maybe we'll discuss some um some specifics around this but for instance when i was coaching i would try again sprint context here but we would we would do a standard session um let's say it was six 1000 meter races in k1 and we would pretty much do that every single week of the year a few weeks out for when you're traveling to competition or it's not the right thing because of a particular um, an event but essentially you do that as often as you can throughout the year on a regular basis 
Um, so you have a you have a reference point, a benchmark you can come back to and look at. Now that might not make much sense if you just do it for one year or one month or two months, but if you do it for several years in a row, long-term planning again, you know that your athletes um, are generally at say February, March time, they're say 10% slower than they are in April time or in July time when, there's, when they're actually at their peak. So you can see how effective your training is. Have they moved the dial on their February thousand meter time trials are they faster this year than they were last year and therefore something you know is improving and you can refer back to your training to see what that might be but if you have a regular consistent um, benchmarking session in there you have a you have a reference point um, and it doesn't have to be flat out when, we, when we're doing these things when we talk about data collection it doesn't have to be a, an absolute all-out effort a time trial necessarily it just needs to be a regular consistent um events that you can log so some benchmarking you know some benchmarking is critical in terms of you know during this data collection period you've got to have some form of benchmarking you know um, identified somewhere within that yeah yeah and i think a lot of coaches would recognize that and they do that probably already in terms of club time trials for instance in the, in the sprint racing world or the marathon racing world a lot of places have their their club time trial and they have records going back a long long time that they can refer back to and as an athlete you can reference that yourself you know I, I, the guys from sort of a decade ago and, and you have that sort of database there of knowledge but um I, I would recommend doing that and doing it on an event which is useful for you that you are training towards as well <laughs> so potentially it, it wouldn't help you to go and do a necessarily wouldn't help you to go and do a, a 20 mile bike ride as your benchmark session if you're trying to be a um you know 200 meter k1 athlete it'll give you information but it might not give you the information you can use to refine your training yeah okay specific to what you are that you're wanting to compete in it's specific to the skill you're trying to develop Okay. So, you know, so you might have multiples of these and you flex them a little bit around the time of year but um, um, you, you, again it, it's will it make the boat go faster will it help me and will it give me information that feeds into this discussion around what skills do I need to develop to do well in this particular task Yeah. and depending on your task you know your skill set and depending on what event you're trying to train for as to, as to which skills do you need to focus on yeah okay um well I, i'm thinking of you know some of the conversations i've had in the past with with coaches and athletes is that there could be a nervousness or reluctancy to to use metrics you know um do you have any advice on setting the appropriate climate for for them to use it yeah it, it can be scary i think because it is this objective feedback um you know both as an athlete you know might not want to have that in their face all the time you know sometimes they get a bit nervous about not performing or or as that or as a coach potentially you're getting feedback that this wide variety of sessions that you're doing and all these different impacts you're trying to have maybe hasn't moved someone far enough forward mm. um but I, I think if you can always for me personally it's, it's removing the ego from the situation you know, I've talked in the past many times about ego-less coaching. So you're not trying to 
Um, it's not about you. It's not about um, the outcome necessarily. It's about the athlete. And you're trying to remove the ego, remove the judgment. And it is as simple as that. It's just feedback. You know, that real application of the scientific method. You know, you think of the pure scientists. They're just doing an experiment, gathering data, and then reporting on the outcome. Um, it sounds a lot easier than it is to do. But, <laughs> but if you can set it up right with your athlete or your training group that, you know, the reason we got the clock on this, the reason we're monitoring these things is to help refine the feedback. And ultimately, we're going to inform that individual's um, mental model. Uh, so when I first, when I spoke about the, the swimming and the, and the controlled distances and efforts, essentially what I was doing was building a mental model, every single stroke, every single length of effort versus outcome so your athletes are doing that regardless of what feedback you're giving them they're always doing it so if they're doing that with the subjective or biased or non-accurate information they're building the wrong mental model mm. which is going to impede their performance when it really comes under the, the scrutiny of a competition or a particular task or challenge so it, it's kind of the athlete is going to be uncomfortable maybe but it, they require that honest information to build the right mental model and move past that awkward bit and the coach needs that to give the honest information as well to, to help frame that and if you can remove the judgment it doesn't matter if you're 10 seconds slower today or 20 seconds or five seconds even though you're going harder it gives you a useful point of conversation to explore in that really good coach athlete discussion so why why was it slower today well let's have a look water temperature could be colder wind could be this maybe you didn't your technique wasn't as good maybe you didn't come to the sessions prepared as last time conversely actually today you're 10 seconds quicker it's amazing what have we done in the last week you know or maybe we've done nothing but it's just a nice tailwind today so you're going faster yeah yeah and there's a couple of questions i got from that is um there is a there is a possibility in that if the if the results aren't coming through that you as a coach or an athlete that you want you could look for justifications why yeah which which is sometimes not useful isn't it it's almost going well there's a reason why i'm not and actually it, it may not actually that be that truthful and I think that's, yeah. you know, and like you said, you know, you have to be really honest and, and sometimes brutal with yourself in terms of, you know, sometimes the evidence isn't exactly what you want to see, but it is the, it is the data. It, it is the data. And it, 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 if you can do it in this non-judgmental team, real team, like you, in the purest sort of aspect is you and the athlete or you and the, the group around you working together to achieve an outcome that's your role as a coach isn't it it's to support someone to achieve an objective an outcome essentially there's all sorts of definitions and all the rest of it but you're helping someone move from a to b um if you're not giving them and they're not hearing or seeing that sort of that line down the middle the objectivity of it you're not actually helping them move forwards um and it so there's good ways and there's bad ways around doing it and i'm sure I'm sure we've all got it wrong many times, but ultimately the person doing the sport, they are trying to refine this sense of 
input and output in terms of what they put into something and what's the outcome from that in the environment. And if they're not getting the right information, they're going to be building the wrong model. They're going to be building the wrong mental construct for it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really, really sound advice there, Ian. Um, and as you were as you were talking earlier about you know you know creating the appropriate climate for for data collection, I was thinking about you know um, you know what's your thoughts on how early you introduce data collection you know you know because if people are people are used to it at the early stages then it's not it doesn't it's not sprung on them i mean yeah. i don't know what your thoughts are yeah i completely agree i mean i think as early as possible because it becomes just um part of the environment you're in and, and this will vary massively between the particular environments you're in in terms of a club or the athletes or the particular sport you're, you're trying to do but there's very few things we do in life where we don't actually have some sort of feedback, some sort of objective feedback, some sort of metrics anyway. Um, and it can be as simple as a weekly time trial or a weekly time trial is probably the wrong word just because those very words tends to uh, put people off. But a, a weekly sort of recording, you know, even if it's a non-maximal 3,000 meter paddle that sort of takes you I don't know, 20 minutes or something like that, but you're doing it at the same intensity. You can see if you're getting quicker or um, something as easy as possible. How many strokes does it take you to cover 100 meters, for instance? Mm. Yeah, something, something fun, you know, difference. How many, how, many, how many strokes can you do in that distance and how few strokes can you do in that distance? So you can assess the power per stroke. Mm. It doesn't have to be a flat out time trial, but just something environmentally um challenging and stimulating to build that feedback loop for the athlete yeah. um, and obviously yeah we haven't discussed it at all we're just talking about concepts but it's so easy now with technology to record something as simple as heart rate mm. on sessions um, different people have different ideas of the uh, usefulness of it or the distance you've traveled you know when you watch you know or the speed or the time it takes you it's so easy just to put that on and you've got something you've captured it already yeah. um, rather than doing a year's worth of training and having nothing to show for it on paper yeah and and as you you know the examples you give ian that actually with what's now readily available on the everyday market is these monitors are actually very readily available and actually do most of the data collection for you don't they yeah yeah it, it's so simple now and and you know cost effective as well i mean you can spend thousands of pounds on the highest end watch but to be honest there's some of the cheapest ones you can get are just as as useful for collecting something um and it's the, you know the most basic would be time and distance um for most people i guess in the context we're talking about how long are you out in the water for and how far have you covered um heart rate's always interesting you know for some, for some degree um simple things like that and even just tracking at the earliest stages just tracking uh, sounds like a school but tracking attendance you know how often in a week or a month are you coming down and doing a session and there's huge correlations between uh, obviously just consistency of turning up versus some of the specifics of what you do so you know if you turn up consistently day after day after day month after month you're probably more likely than someone that turns up does an amazing session doesn't come back for a few weeks yeah 
you know so just being able to look at that at the end of the year and say oh yes these people 90 percent attendance amazing you know this person all over the place yeah that's just yeah some really valuable sort of things for for everyone to consider that's listening actually you know that it does obviously vary to um to the person doesn't it and what's ready available but actually some really interesting concepts in before we before we wrap up i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna push you actually and i'm gonna ask you what are your five top tips to coaches on gaining and using data for athlete development you're only allowed five mm -hmm. um okay so first off start recording now okay. whatever you're doing record something with your athletes even if it is just that they're turning up um yeah so we say so you, you sometimes you don't know what data you need until you have it there and you don't want to be a, a year down the line have an insight of yes I, I really want to understand this now and i haven't recorded it for a year you know or six months of training it, it, we have lost so much data over the course of the last 20 years of people's training and we had some amazing athletes doing amazing things and there's just very little that actually we can capture and use and help other people from their information so start recording now second one i think comes back to doing something consistently over and over and over again so your benchmark session whatever that might be one thing that you could do and you can refer back to hopefully more than one thing but a benchmark session you can refer back to if you keep changing it every week if you keep recording different things you've got nothing to actually compare back to um keep it simple there, there is an overwhelming amount of data you can collect as we said at the start but keep it simple it doesn't have to be really really complicated you can just do it on a pen and paper um technology makes it easier now to capture it i used to cycle around the regatta lake timing all my athletes every single 20 meters writing it down on a pen and paper that i had attached to the front of my bike i put a clipboard on the front of the bike and i was just scribble notes as i cycle along um, and then you know type them up later and all the rest of it but keep it simple or else you won't do it mm -hmm. um, and there are technologies that make it simpler now potentially um, and i guess going along with that leading on from that it'll, it'll be a separate point but don't get too bogged down in the details you know look for long-term trends so if someone is x amount slower this week compared to last week or lifts 10 percent more or, or moves a different weight don't worry about that one instance it yeah. could just be an outlier it could be the conditions look for we're, we're on the long-term journey with these athletes so look for long-term trends yeah, analyze over weeks and months and years was that your oh, fourth was it? That's, that's the fourth one i think yeah okay. <laughs> and i think the last one i might have to sneak an extra bit in there the last one um is you don't have to be perfect you know as a coach but we're just like athletes we are athletes and our sport is coaching you know so we're developing as well mm. so you don't have to have your whole system set up it doesn't have to be perfect from day one you're learning this you're trying it out and your team with your athletes. So let's develop it together. In fact, you know, most of them might have more skills and insights in this area than you do. So lean on that 
you know, and work it out together um, and grow and develop it. My little anecdote on that, my coach, when I was training, he wasn't the best at data and stopwatches and stuff. And I kind of was as the athlete. I knew my timing very well, like I said, from the swimming days. So I could do a time trial, finish my time trial. He would ask me what time it was and I would be within a fraction of a second of what the actual time was. And often, sometimes he got it wrong and I'm like, no, <laughs> I know I know you didn't start the watch. I know you made a mistake on the go, but you didn't want to say so, you know, because I, I got a sense for it. And that happens, you know, sometimes the watch doesn't start. Sometimes you press the wrong button. Just own up to it. You don't be perfect and just move on. Wow. Okay. Some really you know, top tips there. And I think what sprung to mind when you were when you were talking then is I think although although the focus and the conversation was around train smarter, there's certainly an element of coach smarter as well, isn't there? Absolutely. Like, like I said, I I like to see everything is the same same principle as as an athlete you know we're just a coach and our sport is coaching yeah so it's so treat yourself as you would treat your athletes you know make a plan about yourself make what you're developing you know where's your skill now where do you want to get to close the gap um you know and work on yourself as you would work on your athletes and expect sort of the same as well well in i mean Thanks very much. As I said, you know, you've taken time out of your busy schedule to to record this podcast and uh, really appreciate your, your time. And um, I think, uh, you know, be good to uh, just tell the listeners now that, uh, you know, we are currently working on a on a on a resource, aren't we, that uh, for people to be able to access around the train smarter aspects and, you know, the, the elements of actually using using mechanisms to capture data and what you do with that so uh that's something to look out for in the new year um and uh yeah in many thanks again and uh really appreciate your your time today thank you no, it's my pleasure thank you thanks for listening we hope you'll join us for the next episode Remember to review, rate and subscribe. Bye for now.